Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive & June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive & June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Time once again for another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm David Cartledge. On today's episode, it's revenge for Spain. It's a broken record for Italy. It's anybody's guess which one of them will come out on top of the world next year, Ma. We'll give it a go, though. Also, the rumour is that Donnarumma is persona non grata amongst Milan fans. If the question is why, we'll answer it, of course. And what does Mbappe have to say for himself? He's been talking and we've been listening. What a match. Spain versus Italy, David. Uh, we should have known it was going to be a cracker in the Nations League because we had seen them match up against each other in the semi-finals of Euro 2020. These are the two teams to watch out for in Europe. When they play, it's a firecracker, isn't it? It is. It's fantastic. I don't think there's a... You know, I think both teams completely go to their style. They don't change or alternate for the other one. Um, I think that game at Euro 2020 was just an epic. It really was. I think from recent memory, I think it was probably one of the best games we've seen at a major tournament um, in the way that both teams completely stuck to their style, didn't alter it and didn't change it. And I thought that was marvellous. Uh, once again here, um, different competition, but absolutely the same approach from both teams. Um, Italy played their way. They pressed. Uh, they looked to you know try and get the ball back off Spain quickly didn't work I don't think I think Spain found a way to navigate around that press and Spain played as they often do under Luis Enrique they play a bit risky but my word it's so so entertaining I think that's the thing isn't it we can easily forget that Spain and Italy historically have these very juxtaposed football cultures um, that are maybe not completely faithful to the stereotype at the moment which is what makes it even more interesting now normally Spain, they very much have their way of doing things and Italy very much have their way of doing things in football terms. With Italy, it's win first and with Spain, it's about craft and ball movement. Now, of course, Spain had a lot of possession in this, but as David said, there's something very A, dynamic and B, chaotic about what they do at the moment. 
they're very much learning on the job. Now, I still think Italy are learning a, a bit on the job. Now, they, they've got to the end of, what, a 37-match unbeaten run with this being ended by Spain now. But there's been very few points, if any points, in that where I've thought Italy are def- definitely the best side in the world. Even when they won the Euros, and you know they deserve to win the Euros, they were excellent from start to finish, give, what, 30 minutes against England and, and a half against Austria. But I still feel that they've got work to do. They've not found their centre forward. That's that's clear. That's something that they've they've got to work on. And there's a space for be it uh, Moise Ken or Bellotti or even our mate Ballo. Who knows? <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Um, but I, I looked at Roberto Mancini when this had finished, and you know there was a sense that there was there was definitely a mutual respect and there definitely is a mutual respect between him and Luis Enrique but he's like well we're going to lose sooner or later that that was kind of the look yeah. on his, his 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 face to to me whereas Spain are more overtly under construction and you know i think they can build towards something i think that they can they can be a contender and you know i think we've we've, we've got some correspondence on that which we'll come to in a minute we'll we'll come to all your tweets in a in in a, in a while but sometimes I, people don't like to see the work in progress in football. Like when we go back to the old Messi-Ronaldo question, which I try and avoid at all costs, especially on here, I think one of the issues that people have with Cristiano Ronaldo, they can see all the working that's gone in. Messi seems like this natural God-given talent, whereas with Ronaldo, you can see the evolution. I think the satisfying thing with this Spain's side David is that you can see the evolution and you can see it happening yeah absolutely I think um, I made the point that they can be immensely frustrating at times in in terms of Mm -hmm. their lack of chance taking ruthlessness and they do make some silly errors I think it was well they nearly gave it away at the end after dominating the whole game and at the start and who gets done on the (laughs) counter-attack by 10 men (laughs) and I mean we had it at the start I think it was the opening 10 minutes as well we'll we'll get on to Gavi in a minute um, but I mean, he lost the ball, and he just got like he he was caught up. He was deer in the headlights for the first five ten minutes, and Spain all were as well before they then adjusted. Um, and they do have these moments, and like you say, I think that makes them interesting. I think they're one they're one of the best watchers at the moment in in football as well. I think even out of club or international football, they're just engrossing to watch. I think because of that reason. I think at Euro twenty twenty, they were a work in progress, and that's what made them so interesting. They came into that competition finding their way through the tournament trying different things you know this was the there was a funny thing about them you couldn't really guess their lineup I remember being asked by various people before the tournament oh what's Spain's lineup going to be and I'm just like I genuinely don't have a clue and I don't it, think Luis Enrique did either no, for a lot he, of it he, he didn't he kind of he felt it out a little bit. He he just went by game by game and then looked, mm. looked at the process and and I think that's again what he's doing here. But the encouraging thing is where they are right now, I think, what, maybe 50, 60% in their development in terms of their construction, a lot of things are clicking. A lot of players look very, very much at home in terms of knowing their roles. And there are still players to come back into the team who haven't really been involved. I think probably is one of the most exciting talents in Spain right now is Ansu Fati. Mm. And he hasn't really had a proper go in a team under Luis Enrique. He hasn't really been part of this. Um, Pedri wasn't there last night as well. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see these players come in and what they can provide. And my view is they can only provide more energy, more dynamism to what's going already with this blend. 
but age is on their side with Spain. So it's not surprising to see them as a work in progress. It's actually quite fascinating. But what's intriguing about when Spain and Italy match up, and both of them have got youngsters on their sides that you know you can keep an eye on. But what's interesting is that they're so evenly matched, and it is that dynamic that Andy alluded to, it's actually opposites coming together. So one team that wants to win at all costs, the other team that wants to play football in a tactical way at all costs, whatever it might be. But I think that's changed a little bit. It's changing. With with, with Italy, because I think the Roberto Mancini effect is they've been like, they're they're very, as Nicky has said in previous weeks, they're, they're quite reflective of Serie A and how it is at the moment, how it's no longer cautious, how it is attacking and enterprising and that Roberto Mancini has managed to run with that and almost let the players lead I think is is has been the source of Italy's success but they did find it hard I, I don't know about you guys I thought even without the Bonucci sending off they go on to lose that game because Spain was superior not just in terms of possession and we've seen before where you can dominate a game without having the possession Italy definitely didn't do that but they they weren't able to to do that and there was some last ditch defending there are a few Donnarumma moments there are a few less good Donnarumma moments and we'll talk about him in, but Benicio in, in was let, crucial that, in the last minute defending he was crucial yeah. earlier on so you can't say that his sending off would have you know made no impact in, on the result I'm not, I'm not saying it, it made no impact I, I'm saying I still think Spain would have gone on and win, won the game with, with, with the flow of the game I think um, obviously the fact that they took advantage and scored the second goal straight after Bonucci got sent off was was, was a massive deal um, but I, I, I the, the thing that got me the most, I think I might have mentioned this on the on, on the ramble earlier, is um, there's, there's this brilliant bit in the second half where the, uh, Italy are trying to bring on Locatelli and Moise Keane and uh, they, they can't get the ball back to make the change. <laughs> and Spain have got the ball for probably about like, three or four minutes. And there's this bit where Barella looks over to the bench like, is someone not going to kick it out? <laughs> like as, as, as if they had an injured player or, or, or something like that. But it's, no, you definitely can't get the ball off them. And Gavi's a huge part of that. What a story. What a story. I think his ability to win the ball back extremely quickly is going to add so much to this Spain team. Um, I think Luis Enrique loves that about players. He wants the ball back immediately. Like you said, he wants to have the ball. So he want, when they do eventually lose it, he doesn't want to go more than 10, 15 seconds without having the ball. He wants it back straight away. Now, I know Luis Enrique and Barcelona fans are going to hate me for what I'm about to say. I know Luis Enrique was a huge, huge fan of Danny Ceballos. He mm. really, really rates him. Now, we know Ceballos' career has, has stalled somewhat and regressed. Um, he's become a bit anonymous. Um, and I don't think he's developed as a player as well. Now, I think Gavi has got lots of traits of an early Danny Ceballos. I watched a lot of Ceballos when he came through with Betis, when he came through the Spain youth ranks. And he played with the same intensity, the same buzz, the same, uh, this, just this aggressive nature. But he wasn't very measured. Now, I think Gavi is a lot, lot more measured. I it's, think it's interesting you should say that, actually, in terms of the development. Because we've got a tweet here from Abel Gamara that says, uh, what do you think is Gavi's ceiling? He does not seem phased regardless of the opposition. Now, obviously, there's mm-hmm. a small sample size but you, you think there's a definite difference between him and Ceballos, Ceballos yeah. I think they've both got the same amount of quality um, in, in terms of how they play at technical level 
I think Gavi looks a bit more of a measured sort of player, though, a bit more in control of his game. And yes, sometimes he gets a little bit carried away with these fouls and such, but I would not rein that in. I think that's what's so brilliant about him. It's what was so brilliant about Ceballos. Because so it's many, about wanting to lead, isn't it? Really? Exactly, exactly. Wanting the ball, wanting to lead, uh, wanting to be part of the central to absolutely everything. Um, now, Ceballos kind of strayed off the path a little, uh, the path a little bit because he just he wasn't measured. He didn't really learn there in his game, whether it be the lack of coaching, the lack of regular minutes. He didn't really take that step forward with his game. I can see Gavi potentially doing that, and that's why I think he's going to be a, a cornerstone for both Barcelona and Spain. Now, I thought Ceballos' ceiling was sky's the limit I thought mm. he was one of the best midfielders in the world same and I'm going to apply exactly the same where I said uh, to him to, to Gavi as well and I think it can and hopefully Gavi goes a different way in terms of getting the regular minutes in terms of developing and then yes I think he can go all the way to the very top of course OTC is a conversation and you're most welcome to join in that conversation you can tweet us at any time at David Jacker at Andy Bressel at Dotson Adibio and at Football Ramble and um, this one, this tweet from Duncan, who says, with Spain, this is a really good question, actually, looking ahead, with Spain beating Italy, uh, with many of their squad still out and after some great performances in the Euros, are they emerging as favourites for the World Cup? Obviously, this is the next stage. These two teams might meet in the World Cup. And what a cracking fixture that will be. It would be amazing, but I don't think we should be seduced by how good the spectacle would be into thinking that they are the two best teams out there. I think they may be the two most entertaining teams what, out there when together? they get together. And yeah, as a, as, a, as a spectacle that, together, yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. But what I think is interesting about this, this, this World Cup is I don't think there is a favourite. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how Spain go against, uh, how France, sorry, go against Belgium um, tonight or Thursday night, depending on when you're listening to this in the second semi-final, because Belgium really want to get them back for the the 2018 World Cup semi. They're still really sore about that. Um, you know, I think it's it's interesting reading in the the, the, the French media this week how um, it has not gone uh, unnoticed in in France how. Um, there were areas in Brussels and Liège and some of the bigger cities in Belgium where they celebrated quite wildly when France got knocked out of the Euros by, by, by Switzerland, for example. So, and, and France have a lot of reconstruction to, to do. You know, they're, they're a, it feels to me like they're at quite an early stage in, in terms of that. Clearly, they've got the most talent. Is Deschamps the man to give them the plan to go forward? I don't know. I really don't know. And it'd be interesting to to see. So what I think in terms of Spain and whether they can become one of the favourites, what I like so much is Luis Enrique um, is clearly very passionate. You saw the way he celebrated as, as, as they won. And he's someone who's very, very bullish and pugnacious. He will give this team time to develop time to make mistakes and I love the way he was with the journalists like well, obviously I wouldn't love this if most most coaches were like this with us journalists but in the press conferences earlier in the week and he's like honestly he said to one journalist I don't read your column 
I don't really care. I, I think I know loads about football and I trust my own instincts. So I'm not really bothered what you have to say about it, to be perfectly honest. Uh, uh, that, Come on now. It is. I'm a member of the journalist that, union. I can't that, say that. Same. But that, that, whole, that whole attitude of I'm going to stick to my path yeah. and I'm going to let these guys mm. develop. And some of the mistakes they make. I mean, the difference between their highs and their lows in Euro 2020 was extraordinary. I mean... They, they played some moments of breathtaking football. They also made some absolutely horrendous collective and individual errors. See, and he seems fine to give them the space to do that. This is why the World Cup for me is really interesting because so far, when you look at Spain and Italy, as much of a matchup as that is, Italy delivered when it mattered. But Spain arguably flopped when it mattered in terms of tournaments. And that's how mm-hmm. you're judged. You know, I, I, I imagine that looking at those two teams now from afar, I would say if they met in the World Cup, that Italy would get the better over Spain because when it comes to the big occasion, the likes of Chiellini just play out of his socks. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think that's completely fair. And you have to say that they did meet each other and, and Italy were the victors there. The only th- the retort to that that I would have, I don't think Spain expected to be there. I think they no. they were far, far ahead of their development where they expected to be at that point. They didn't expect themselves to be in that sort of game. Uh, they made certain mistakes and certain fail- and there were certain failings there as well. And it wasn't as much as errors. It was just, a, again, I bring it back. I think it was clinical finishing. That's what they lacked, I thought, at times. Um, if that was there, uh, then I think the outcome would have been different. I think the next time that they meet, if it is in the World Cup, I think Spain will be further along. Um, I think they'll have their players um, more in tune with the system a bit more. Pedri will be a bit more senior then. Uh, like I say, hopefully we've got Ansu, Ferran, uh, Gavi all, you know, integrated in a bit more and we could see a completely different uh, game and outcome. Alza Valla, che si fa vedere in mezzo il cross, la conclusione della rete. La rete della Spagna, esattamente al minuto 17 nel corso del primo tempo, ha segnato Fernan Torres sul cross perfetto da questa parte. So one of the central figures, uh, when we talk about Spain and Italy, it just one final point on that is just, we, we're all buzzing from that match, but one of the central figures, in fact, he's the central one of the central figures in any match he plays in, just because he's so huge, is Donnarumma, the goalkeeper, uh, the Italian goalkeeper. I can't believe what you're saying, Andy, that he got stick from his own Italian supporters when he went back to Milan. Um yeah, it's something that had been brewing all week, Don, before match day, um, when uh, Italy got to training for the, um, the, the the Nations League semi-final. It was Donnarumma's first return to Milan since he'd, he'd left the club for, for PSG. Obviously, the fans not that happy with him because he'd gone for free, not that happy because he'd gone to Paris as, as well. But th- this... Um, him getting stick and um, maybe being a little upset by it. This is a story that's gone on for years and years, really. Because if you go back to when Mino Raiola first became his agent, remember he broke in to the Milan first team of a very, very young age. You look at the fact that he's already played at 250 games for a, a, a club of that stature is absolutely remarkable. Especially in Italy, where goalkeepers are very much seen and not heard until they're in their their, their 20s. Mm -hmm. Um, It's 
that's something that, that there was always this Buffon comparison over him from when he first came into the team as a as a teenager. But when Raiola comes on the scene, that changes everything. His first big contract renegotiation. Now, eventually, he inks that in 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 2017. But there was a, a lot of ill feeling around that. With um, at the time, this, this is only four years ago, of of, of course. Um, uh, Milan fans like waving like sort of fake Euro notes at him and all that sort of stuff, calling him a, a money grabber, sort of guilt by association. Um, I mean, I think in very few situations, I think a, a player is being unreasonable by getting an agent to negotiate for them. Especially when you, in Donnarumma's case, you go from being a child to being a first team player, which was his path. I, I don't, you know, you're not going to be able to go in a room and negotiate what you really need and what you really deserve at that time. And you want to get the, the one of the best to do that for you, then, then, then great. I, th- I think that's, that, that's fine. The villain brush that he was tarred with, I mean, it affected his relationship with Milan fans forever. He eventually signed again and got on with it. I don't think he ever forgot that though. Not for one second. Because you think he was a teenager being torn out, being called a money grabber by a load of ultras and and, and fans of his club. I mean, and that was his club, you know, that he came through. It must have been absolutely heartbreaking for him. So to go through it all again this week can't have been pleasant. Um, I think he's got other issues to to deal with at at the moment because of course he's he's gone to Paris Saint-Germain but it always felt to me like an opportunity signing rather than a planned signing because of course if you go backwards they signed this extended contract with Kalo Navas who let's remind everyone is one of the best goalkeepers in the world they signed this extended contract with Kalo Navas at the end of April and then they signed Donnarumma just after that. That really puts his, his his nose out of joint. Now, ever since he signed, Donnarumma, who, despite being an absolute rock, has had to put up with a lot of instability in his career with this um, the, the various contract situations, not once but twice, um, with the relationship with Raiola and how people have perceived that, with this very tense relationship with the, the Milan fans. And now he goes to PSG, and the question is, are you going to be the first team goalkeeper? There was the question of, actually, maybe they'll loan Donnarumma out to kick the can down the road of having to make the choice between the two. Um, and it's obviously enormously put Kalo Navas's nose out of joint. He made a few enigmatic social media posts about it at the time after Donnarumma signed, should we, should we, should we put it that way. And, you know, there's been speculation that Donnarumma's not that happy until it seems that recently he's now the first team place. Um, although clearly they still have a situation to deal with there. You know, there's been talk about, you know, would he even be sold next year? And no, that, that even that wouldn't be the worst outcome in the world for PSG because you sign a, a you know, the best young goalkeeper in the world for nothing and then sell him for what you like the, the, the year afterwards. But I find it's extraordinary. There's this this total juxtaposition in his career of how he's 
largely apart from that fumble last night but that hit the post that was so near that quite a fumble so, that would have been the, the in look everybody's on, Christmas the uh, look on Marcus Alonso's face you really got away with that yeah pal. you did it, of course you did it, it, was, it, was, it was amazing and as, as, as you quite rightly said Dotton <laughs> Fenucci saved him but the the juxtaposition of that and all this tumult behind him it's, it's a really weird story isn't it no I think absolutely I mean <sighs> I, th- I think you made a great point with it saying it's an opportunistic signing that they have made. I think if Juve were in a better financial position, mm. I think that's what's happened. I yeah. think I don't think Juve were in a position. I think they wanted him, obviously, yeah. but I don't think they were in a position to. They didn't know what was going to happen with Ronaldo was going to happen. No. I think if they knew that in advance, then things would be... They're straight in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think Rayola just basically had to save face for himself as well. He didn't wear, yeah. look like more of an idiot than he does to many. So he's like, right, I better quickly get him a home. Mm. PSG were obviously open to that. He's gone there. I think there's a massive situation still to completely un- unfold there. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Kayla went back to being the number one and Donnarumma was sold to raise funds potentially for somebody at some point. So, it's, it's mad. If we're talking about what how you described it, Andy, the finest young goalkeeper in the world mm-hmm. and he can't get a game no. or, or he's struggling to get a game. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, I, I think that the, the, the thing that possibly changes that situation, though, and I, I, I agree, I think there's, I'd have, I'd have said even a month ago, there's that, there's that possibility that Kalo Navas stays there because he's extremely highly regarded yeah. there. Uh, and then they, they, they maybe make some money to, to go towards an Mbappe replacement, for example. But what changes the story a little bit is the game that Donnarumma has against Manchester City. So they go out there, they lay down a marker against one of the other favourites for the competition. They manage that game absolutely superbly. Or at least that's what we can say after Donnarumma yeah. makes a load of good saves and saves their yeah. asses. Yeah, it is. Like I say, it's one of those situations that's going to... It, it is going to raise its ugly head at some point and Pochettino's mm. going to have to be dealing with it. I think he's going to be under the microscope when he does. It's not like he's it. got anything else to deal with, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not much. <laughs> I mean, that's the last thing you need with the whole messy thing. <laughs> sort out these two world-class goalkeepers as well. We don't think you've got enough in your entry. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a cliche of Donnarumma that he's a big guy. And you hear all the commentators, you know, he makes a great save and they say, well, you know, he's occupying nine-tenths of the gold mouth anyway. So, you know, it should have been sort of rudimentary for him. But the agility uh, is amazing. That's that the thing. Because yeah. I think that we miss out on why this guy is such a great goalkeeper because we're looking... I mean, that blooper aside, all great uh, goalkeepers will have their blooper moments, but... When you see his positioning in the goal mouth, you can't see... He's making it very difficult for strikers to get the ball past him. He is. I think he's the right person in exactly the right spot in that uh, penalty area. And that's right. I think I think presence is key, very much like Peter Schmeichel back in the day. But also, I love the way he's so locked in. My, my favourite ever, I think, bit of Donnarumma footage is... And I, I realise this will probably be a bit of a sickener for a lot of people listening to this, particularly in England. But... If you think of the the end of the shootout against England, and if you've seen that shot from behind the goal where he makes the save and he just walks off, yeah. and all his teammates are like, we've won! Yeah, yeah, no, no. And then it belatedly <laughs> dawns on him because he's so locked into yeah. dealing with the moment that the, yeah, the, the actual yeah. match situation hasn't occurred to him. I think it's largely those players go furthest in sport as well. I think those who can really zone in, shut out all the noise what's around them. 
And there, there has been a lot of noise, like we've said. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. even if Italy aren't the best football team in the world, if he's their number one goalkeeper, it's going to take a lot to get the ball past him next year, you know. Mm. Um, so don't, don't place your bets just yet. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Clash of the Titles is the podcast where two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. Join Alex Zane, Chris Tilly and Vicky Crompton as they celebrate Halloween with a month of Stephen King films. Kicking off this month of King versus King, it's The Shining versus Doctor Sleep. We also get this amazing shot of Wendy and Danny lost in the maze and the camera stalking them and Jack looking down at this model of the maze. The lengths that Kubrick went to to make it feel like, is Jack controlling this maze? Is this maze Jack's mind? Search Clash of the Titles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Clash of the Titles is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Uh, we've mentioned him already. Well, you can't have an OTC without mentioning Kylian Mbappe somewhere. <laughs> you can't, can you? You can't. That's the rules. Yeah, but he's we don't been make talking. Him. Yeah. He's been talking. We've been listening. What has he had to say? Well, he's given two big interviews uh, in, in, in France this week for International Week. One lengthy one uh, with Le Keep, the French football Bible, and uh, one with uh, RMC Sport. Uh, on television where he, he talked to Jerome Rotten, formerly of uh, Monaco and, and, and Rangers, of course. And um, yeah, it was, it was it was interesting. And 
I've just been waiting, and I guess a lot of people have, have, have been in the same boat, I've just been waiting for Mbappe to have his say on what happens this summer because um, he's one of the most intelligent footballers out there. He's super smart. He understands the meaning behind every word. Um, he's, he's fairly measured. Well, the nuances and everything. Yes. Oh, wow. And I, I think... Um, people after this will stop underestimating him because of his age because the, the, the way that um, without showing any disrespect to Paris and this is an incredibly hard trick to do without showing any disrespect to Paris or PSG he said what you said about me asking for a transfer right at the end of the transfer window in August was unequivocally incorrect I, I asked for that transfer in July. <laughs> and I love the club. I've had a great time here. If you want to keep me, I'm still happy to play. I wanted to leave. So I wanted you to have the opportunity to get a transfer fee to get a decent replacement. He said that? Yeah. Oh, wow. And <laughs> I think given the way that Nasser Al-Khalifi and PSG have tried to really seize the agenda here. I think the fact that he's waited for his moment, that he's answered all the questions in the most eloquent way possible, and nothing was off limits here. Like the club that he wanted to go to, any of this sort of stuff. He has really proved that you don't necessarily have to have a PR machine. You just need to be smart and good with words. And that's exactly what he is. I, I, I find it fascinating. The, the the you know the, like the best the next best player in the world the next gap best player in the world <laughs> sorry just to clarify <laughs> obviously I've not been so good with my words there I, I think the fact that he's so eloquent is is just fascinating I think he really needed this interview or he really needed those interviews mm. I think people I think what's been said about Mbappe if you look what's from Euro twenty twenty post then. There's been, you know, and then what's going on at PSG and apparently things he things he's allegedly said and done and what have you. He's this image of a bit of a prima donna starting to come through, hasn't it, with him? Um, and I think whether it, uh, you say that he speaks eloquently, and he did the interview is, is fantastic with him as well. And whether it be, you know, via his people or whether it was his own doing, I think he was very, very clever in how he did it. And I think he needed to get back that. Almost, and, and he did, he, he spoke very clever, but I think he also needed to get back across this humble little French kid sort of persona a little bit as well. Mm. I think people had kind of lost that. I think he wanted to put them, I think he wanted to put himself back in kind of the, the hearts of people, the good books of people and to show that he's still very much feet on the ground. That's and, it. That, that was the other big line, wasn't it? The fact that he says, for France, I haven't been good enough yet. Yeah. Which I, I think is, again, it's a huge thing to come out with, yeah. but but... Exactly, hits the right note. I think he was very clever um, in that sense. And again, he seems like a lovely person, don't get me wrong. But I do think there was a little bit of calculation in there in terms of the timing and also what was said. And like I said, he's a very, very smart lad. So he probably doesn't need somebody doing his PR. He probably is his own PR machine. Well, it's it's certainly tweaked the interest of our listeners. Uh, Jordan sends us a uh, tweet Jordan says, do you think Mbappe coming out and confessing his desire to leave in this summer, in the last few days, will have a negative impact on the PSG squad and other senior players 
attitude towards him for the rest of the season. Was it a wise decision or not? Well, that, that, well everyone in the dressing room know, knows what's gone on already. I, I think it's just a bit of honesty. And um, I think for him, it's, it's, I think it maybe creates a better atmosphere because whereas he was getting booed at the start of the season, especially until he started doing his stuff, mm. um, I, I think for him to say, actually, I've always been all in with Paris. And whether you know you wanted to get rid of me or not two months ago or wh- whether I leave next summer, I am all in for as long as I'm here. Now, there's another twist to this mm. in that his mum spoke to Le, Le Parisien yesterday and she said oh well we're still talking about a new contract <laughs> um do you know if uh mbappe's mother and adriana rabio's mother are friends has she been given <laughs> well they were, they, they were definitely sitting in that same bank of seats for for, for the for, for the for the the penalty shootout against switzerland that's for sure look i i i think um he knows his own mind i think he will go at the end of the season I think it's smart to keep all your options open especially with the state of flux that there's been in Spanish football but I mean David there was that release like last week of um, the the budgets for, 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 for the season in La Liga mm-hmm. Real Madrid have a budget of what 780 million euros it's nearly 10 times what Barcelona have available they're lauded they could uh, they could help Barcelona out if they really wanted to and um, still have some spare change for Mbappe and Pogba. Uh, um, Mbappe, Mbappe and Pogba <laughs> and Holland. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but this has been their strategy for a while. Project Mbappe has been underway at Real Madrid for four or five ever since he came through. Ever since he was at Monaco, I think that they realised um, you know how how important he was to them and, and the, the Zidane link, shall we say? Um, you know when Zidane was there, and obviously it's it's still intact in terms of uh, you know wanting. Mbappe eventually so they've been getting everything you know in order for for this move um, and they thought they were potentially going to get him uh, in the summer they didn't um, and then they'll move again uh, this summer and he is absolutely their number one priority on many levels um, sporting levels but I think also off the pitch as well they need a face they're Real Madrid and La Liga needs a face as well so I think there's a lot of players in this move that needed to happen it's funny the way that the roller coaster or the musical chairs moves in uh, European football. Uh, we forget, though, that next year is a particular year uh, where the focus won't be on the club so much towards the end of the season. It will be on the national teams as well. Does Mbappe coming out and, you know, showing his colours, if you like, does that affect uh, the national position at all? He's going off to Real Madrid, leaving Paris Saint Germain. Does that have any impact on? where he'll fit in because as you said he's already said I haven't really made it in the national squad I haven't delivered yet does that affect his thinking is his focus on well, the club I think or he's, the country I think he's being a little bit harsh on himself after all he did like score in a World Cup final and win that game at, against Argentina in, in Kazan by himself I think it's an indicator of the incredibly high standards he sets himself and again as David was says was saying intelligence in that he understands that public opinion was you didn't turn up for the Euros. So for him to address that, for him to address falling out with Neymar on the pitch and saying, you, you, you don't pass to me. I think, I think he called him a, a clocher, a tramp. Right. Yes, of course. <laughs> and, um, 
Uh, you, you know, I've just remembered my it, French from it, the old days. It, 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 it recalled something actually that I, I I thought Thierry Henry did brilliantly back in the in in the day, and it's I, I don't know maybe the long lineage of Ligue 1 strikers down down the years, but I remember Thierry Henry coming out once and saying, "Look, I can I know I can be a total pain on the pitch. I know I'm really annoying to my teammates." I thought, God, when do you ever hear like a a big striker saying that. And I wonder if like Mbappe's kind of magpied that from Henri a little bit because it works so well for him. Just like if we go back further, like talking about Ligue 1 strikers, how Thierry Henry sort of stole that folding the socks over the knees from Sonny Anderson. Yeah. Uh, like, like everyone thinks that's Thierry Henry's thing, but it was Sonny Anderson's thing because the two of them were in Monaco together. And I, I, I love that idea of just like taking a little bit from the past and in, incorporating it into your own act. Should we talk about some of these uh, tweets as well? Uh, quite a Let's few tweets, yeah, indeed. So feel free to tweet us at any time at David Jacker at Andy Bressel, at Dotson Adibio, and at Football Ramble. This is from Sai, who's asking, what do you think is the most transformative summer signing so far? Well, which, ooh, David, that's caught your Yeah, we, yeah we, we were discussing this before we came on air, and it was an interesting one. Because, so I may as well bring up this point in that. It's interesting that I don't think still that any major signing has had such a big impact yet to date. Um, to say that they've had a transformative effect. It's, it's a fantastic question. It's a very difficult question. So um, with that in mind, there's a player who I've been really, really impressed with and I think he's already making a big part of him. He's playing a big part in his team's uh, progress and, and season so far and that is William Saliba um, mm. of, uh, of Arsenal fame, of course. Of not getting into the first team at Arsenal fame. Yeah, yeah. Which still perplexes me a little bit. <laughs> it's a very sore subject. But yes, really impressed with the way that he's adapted um, to, I think, a very chaotic San Paoli style at Marseille. I'm, there's a, there's players who are a bit more experienced than him. Uh, Luan Perez came in um, and hasn't really kicked on, but I think Saliba's got it quite quickly. Mm. And I think San Paoli systems are sometimes very, very difficult for players to understand, but I'm seeing Saliba understand it, not only understand it, but he's got a bit of a, kind of like a general's attitude about him. He, look, he looks very confident, he looks very assured. Um, I had a bad game at the weekend, admittedly, but I think and on the whole, he's been very, very impressive. And he, it's there's no wonder that there's reports already again of, of Arsenal of, of sitting up and taking notice and go, oh, right, well, the, he is looking really, really good. So yeah, really impressed with him. And I'm, glad that he is as well because I think he's been through a bit of a tough time with that Arsenal move Andy um, I'm going to cheat a little bit I think um, this is football yeah, yeah of course <laughs> I think um, the first one I'm going to go for because he only permanently signed this summer is Fakara Tomori 
uh, um, Milan. I, I think he's been absolutely brilliant. He, he had a few tough matches towards the end of last season, but he's, he's looked brilliant in the opening part of this season. So composed quite rightly, uh, called up to, to the England squad. I know Gareth Southgate's been watching him closely for a while. Elsewhere in, in, in Serie A, uh, Edin Dzeko. Like, I, th- I think following on from Lukaku is it's just impossible. It's absolutely impossible. But Inter have started this season really well. And I, I understand that Lukaku is repla- irreplaceable. People talked about Dzeko like he was some scrub rather than someone who has you know, scored goals in Germany, in England, in Italy at really high level, who still has a great all-round game. And I think his game is weathered really well. The, the link with Lautaro is absolutely fantastic. Clearly, Lautaro is going to be the star from this point onwards. And if I can cheat a third time, Go on. he's in his second season now at his club, but he was a bit peripatetic in the first season. I think who's proving to be a real difference maker is Jeffrey Condogbia. Atletico. Now he's actually becoming someone who's playing more regularly. I think he makes a, a, a big difference to them. I think because of the way the the, the playing staff has evolved considerably at Atletico in, in in the last couple of years, they look really solid when they've they've got him in the team. He's someone who benefits enormously from playing regularly and having that dedicated holder which I guess is what they hope Lucas Torreira would, would be when he arrived last summer and he, he never was well, he Arsenal only, thought so as well he, he, well exactly and he looked like he would be for a bit now I think Kondogby is fully settled I think he could be transformative for Atletico going forward uh, you can cheat one more time if you like and mention Tammy <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you, you know what I, I think Mourinho Whatever your views on Mourinho, the fact that he's made the owners put their hand in their pocket and buy two big strikers with him and Sean Rudolph, I think is going to be big for them. And Abraham's been great so far. And we talked about how important Dzeko is. Well, the energy that Abraham provides and his all-round play has been magnificent so far. At this tweet from Nazmul, who is the new wonder kid Florian, Florian Wirtz this is, um, who does he his playing style resemble for you? Well, I, I know you want to get all over this. I mean, you, you wanted to make this into the Florian Wirtz episode, didn't didn't you, David? Yeah, he has been outstanding so far. What I've particularly enjoyed is one, he hasn't been phased at all by the oh, you're the Kai Havertz replacement stuff, which is you know not quite right, but you know nominally he did he did you know seem to drop into the team when yes. when, when Havertz so had gone off and, right. and, and, and played right more, yeah. even though he's not a direct replacement. The other thing is, he's one of those players, you know how we struggle with the very best players to find new ways to describe their brilliance. So the way of doing that these days is making up statistics. Having him being, Florian Wirtz is the first youngest player to score eight goals in the Bundesliga. Hey, <laughs> Florian Wirtz is the youngest player to score 10 goals in the Bundesliga. Hey, he's the first player to, youngest player to get 10 assists in the Bundesliga. Hey. 
how do we describe his excellence? Yeah, I think I think his impact and his confidence so far has uh, is what stood out. His, his confidence. It's, he he looks very very senior for how he is. He's he's taken on the Leverkusen team very impressively. I think the way the amount that he creates is remarkable. I was just looking up some stats before I came on, and it turns out um, so it's most goal creating actions per ninety across Europe. He's well out clear with two point four six per game, per ninety mm. minutes. Herven Lozano is only second with one point five seven. So that gives you an idea mm. of how involved he is at the moment, despite being such a young player, in, in how his team plays and what it's, they it's do. It's his team already, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he doesn't just create as well, though. He also scores. And if you look at his work rate, is there? I think the makings of a complete player are there. In terms of comparison, I think it's very, very difficult. I don't, I can't really think of anyone who I've seen quite like him. Um, I just think what he does is very, very... He's, he's such a modern young player in that he can do a multitude of things um, in, in midfield and also join the attack. He's not really a second striker, but I don't think he's an attacking midfielder either because sometimes he works from wide areas as well. He comes in, he's almost, he's got a free role in this Leverkusen team and I think that's what you have to give somebody of his ability um, and it's shown it's it's working um, brilliantly. It is difficult thinking of a comparison, isn't it? I, I guess in terms of role, he probably does a similar thing to what Dimitri Payet does for Marseille, mm-hmm. but arguably at a high level and, and certainly with a lot more athleticism. I was about to say a lot more mobility, yes. Yeah. And, and, and when I say modern in that he has got all the technical qualities, but he's yeah, also... not modern when you're 34, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, he's, also got, he's also got the physical qualities as well and, and that's what's impressive about him. And yeah, I think he's he's, another, he's one of the most exciting players to watch right now. It's Payet 34 now. Yeah, can you believe Fifth it? Fifth neck. And you see, that's the bit that makes me feel old. It's other people's <laughs> ages. And also it'll be interesting, just the last point on Verts. Sorry, I'm, I'm going on here. I did want to. Cool. Cut, I, I did want to cut the whole Mbappe section. Before, <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to go on. <laughs> I didn't get my way. Um, after the break, Leverkusen versus Bayern, and it's going to be a really, really interesting game to see if uh, mm. you know. I think young players always have a breakout game. If you look at every single young player the past few years, they've always got a breakout game. I know Mbappe had his in the Champions League with Monaco. Haaland as well with that incredible goal scoring game again, Champions League. Mm. So this is a good chance potentially for Verts to have his his breakout game. Oh yeah. Well, uh, all, all right. We know what your game of the week is for next week. Then. <laughs> well, but staying with uh, by Leverkusen for a moment. <clears throat> this tweet from Peter who says, "Demari Gray is pulling up trees at Everton, but he seemed to come and go from Leverkusen with very little fanfare and for very low fees as well." What's the story there? How comes well, it didn't work out for him in that respect? He was running out of contract at, at Leicester, which is why Leverkusen got him so cheaply. Um, neither side was really completely sold on each other. So he got a one and a half year deal with a two million release clause, which is why he went off to, to Everton. Now, clearly something's worked with him, worked for him with the experience at, at Leverkusen, because even though it didn't work out brilliantly for either side and they were more, mutually more than happy to, to go separate ways, he's been brilliant for Everton so far. And, you know, he's been the player so far that he's promised to be for a very long time. With Leverkusen, I, th- I think what was difficult for him is he imagined, I think, turning up and playing a lot more. Whereas they've got so many good attacking players, you're going to sit some weeks. It's just the way it is because they've 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 got a lot of other that players. That's what he went through at Leicester as well. So it was yeah, so though, so it? maybe it was maybe it was the wrong move for him in mm. in 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 the, in the first place. There were moments where he he made little little contributions, but I I do wonder if. It was a moment where something clicked for him and a slightly different way of looking at things. 
at least worked for him, even if on the pitch it, it wasn't quite what anyone wanted. I think if he was there now, I think he'd be a lot better. I think at the time Leverkusen played a bit more of a defensive system then. Mm. I don't think there was that much opportunity for a player like him. And I think at the time there was, I think it might have been Bellaby ahead of him. And he, he didn't, even though Bellaby's form wasn't um, overly impressive, he never really got a chance. Um, and I just don't think it really, like you say, I think Timon's the yeah, perfect. Yeah, Bellarabi puts him, puts him more defensively yeah I, I, yeah I think and he's 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 super quick but yeah. I think he's he's come to understand because he's part of the furniture at Leverkusen that yeah he don't play all the time it's it's you know they do rotate their attacking players but yeah I, I think the way they've gone as you say under Gerardo Sayoni he's, he's a really interesting coach did a great job at Young Boys as, as, as well they are fun to watch and like there are so many false thorns with Leverkusen over the years so I don't want to commit to say you know, they're going to win any anything or like Wirtz is going to lead them into the promised land. Just watch them because whatever happens next, it will, it will be entertaining, like you say. They they are nicknamed Neverkusen as well, correct? They certainly are. <laughs> I think it's time to order a takeaway and ask you for your games of the week. Andy, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah. Friday, Friday night takeaway? Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon? All, all, all round to mine for a bit of Turkey versus Norway? Well, that saves us a bit of cash. Yeah, let's go around to yours. <laughs> Eat out your fridge. That's the, that's the spirit. No, 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 no. It'll be, it'll be takeaway all the way from uh, a, a finest mangal, I think. Um, we're we're, we're going to need, um, uh, I, I think I'm pr- I think probably a kuzu shish. Listen, mate, is... I'm hungry. Let's just get on with it. <laughs> I think it's it's an exciting new dawn for for, for Turkey because uh, Stefan Kuntz, who did a good job with Germany under twenty ones, has uh, just got the job after Senor Gunjes at last was given the push, following uh, Turkey's very very um, bad spell. And there are a lot of people in Turkey who are more angry about it than me. Don't you worry, listeners. Um, he's, he's got some players to work with. Uh, there's positivity um, behind Kuntz. People are um, happy to give him a chance. I feel it's quite a progressive appointment. And they've got an opportunity because, of course, Norway have a bit of a striker crisis with uh, no Erling Haaland and a couple of others missing as well. So good opportunity for Turkey. And yeah, we're looking at um, fresh salad with loads of red cabbage, um, cubed lamb straight off the grill, um, flatbreads, the, the, the full lot and at least two baklavas each I promise uh, David follow that how, how do I follow that yeah <laughs> funnily enough I was I was in an Iranian barbecue the other week and uh, it was very much the same enough. sort of style yeah yeah, yeah it was, did, you, did you get to the, the, the bottom of why uh, Sardar Asmund's moved to Leon fell through <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not I didn't I, that didn't come up funnily enough <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> right um, yes my game is Germany versus Romania Friday, and it's a 7.45 kickoff. I think we, we talked about Spain, we talked about Italy in, term, in terms of uh, transition, in terms of bringing in new players. And I think Germany uh, are there as well in terms of trying to bring some new players through. Um, obviously, they've got a new manager in Hansi Flick as well. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see. I think there's two players uh, that stand out to me. It's going to be interesting to see um, how he integrates them. Um, Musiala who's been very impressive this season already. Yeah. I think Nagelsmann uh, has really taken him under his wing and, and getting the best out of him already. Um, and then, um, are we going back to Florian Wirtz? Or oh, are we talking about Wirtz again? Oh, <laughs> oh, I, I, I can't believe that. I can't this believe is it. a hijacking. <laughs> this is an I know you don't like hijack. to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what, what are you eating while you're watching Florian? Yes, yes. Um, so I'm not going to go for curry Wirtz. 
I'm going to go for <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, chicken wings in a buffalo sauce. Ooh. Um, I'd recommend everyone to uh, get on YouTube and Gordon Ramsay's got a re- recipe for them. I realise I'm coming across very middle class uh, right now, you know, Gordon Ramsay recipe. But yes, get on there. He's got a great buffalo uh, sauce wings recipe. Um, Can he do so. them for 99p? Um, with, yeah, with yeah, chips. oh yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it, 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 <laughs> I'm just tracking you down from your middle class. <laughs> Come back better. down to the ghetto, yeah, it, mate. It, it doesn't matter. By the, you know, you can buy a kilo of wings for about one pound fifty, and then it's, it's all in the sauce. It's all in the sauce, you know. Yeah. This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. 